0: Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2, offering a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's a vexing problem, not only in Utah, but state by state. It's liquor laws, control of alcohol. The state uh, has an interest in controlling alcohol for public safety reasons. That's asserted by uh, many citizens. And uh, on the other hand, uh, if your laws are seen, perceived as too restrictive, uh, that may harm tourism, may harm the economy. It's a tension that's ongoing. Utah's laws underwent a uh, pretty extensive reform a few years back. And now Senator John Valentine is drafting a bill that would create a master license for hotels. That would free up licenses currently required to run the bars, restaurants, catering services inside hotels. So he wants to do this same for restaurants. The idea is to attract, make sure we're attracting national chains, of course, economic development. We're going to talk about alcohol, liquor laws, and throw that out to you. Do you think they're too restrictive in the town where you live or here in Utah? Or do you think we're doing just fine? Uh, Citizens, some citizens in Hyde Park in Cache Valley, are wanting to roll back a a city council decision. Uh, They passed an ordinance allowing sales of alcohol. Uh, They want to roll that back through the uh, citizens' referendum and are uh, gathering signatures on a petition. We'll talk with uh, Mark Hurd, Hyde Park City Councilman, as we go along. We'll also talk with uh, Nibley Mayor Gerald Knight About 2002, they allowed uh, um, sales of alcohol, and uh, the controversy there um, was sales on Sunday. Uh, We'll ask Mayor Knight how things are today in Nibley. We'll conclude the hour talking with Senator John Valentine, who's at the center of uh, liquor laws in most legislative sessions. As we go along, we'll uh, maybe try to situate ourselves uh, in... uh, in the uh, liquor law uh, universe by giving you some uh, oddball laws in other states. Maybe just to make ourselves feel a little better about about what we do here in Utah. We'd love to have your questions and comments at 1-800-826-1495. Our subject is liquor laws in Utah. And we begin with a conversation from yesterday. Our uh, producer, uh, Addison Pace, uh, had a chance to talk with Mark Hurd, who is a uh, councilman for uh, Hyde Park, talking about the situation in Hyde Park.
0: This is Addison Pace for Utah Public Radio on Access Utah. And in this portion of the program, I'm talking with Mark Hurd, a city councilman in Hyde Park. Hyde Park recently passed an ordinance allowing for the sale of alcohol in its city limits. So really quick, if you could just do me a favor, um, could you quickly preface for us or give us a quick summary of the ordinance that was proposed uh, and then end up going through later?
2: Yeah, um, well, the... The alcohol licensing ordinance that was um, considered and ultimately uh, adopted by Hyde Park City was uh, first off brought uh, before us because until the passing of the ordinance Hyde Park City did not allow for the sale of alcohol of any or the issuance of any class of alcohol license and uh, the ordinance that was passed uh, established the the uh, regulations for issuing um, any type class of license. it uh, Class A through Class D is defined by the state.
0: Was there any um, specific uh, occurrence that brought this about or was it just kind of a general feeling that kind of brought this to be if that makes sense?
2: Well, uh, I believe you're asking for why, why it was that the city council was considering it in the first place. Yes. Um, And the uh, the mayor uh, brought it uh, before the council um, at a request. Um, He'd been in contact with the local Maverick store and their their um, the owners and operators of that store, and they had requested, as they have many times in the past, that uh, the city change the ordinance to allow that so that they could obtain a um, Class A alcohol license which would enable them to be able to uh, sell uh, beer off-premise for off-premise consumption.
0: Okay. Um, and then could you discuss with me your concerns about this ordinance um, as it was proposed and uh, maybe some of the things that you thought of um, as it was going through that caused you to have your feelings towards it?
2: Sure. Uh, well, my, my I'll attempt to summarize my position, but the uh, main points were, one, um, it's uh, in in my opinion, um, the, the alcohol is is a drug, and um, and the state makes it you know currently allows for the local governments to uh, determine the licensing regulations and parameters, and um, so then my my personal opinion as well as. In considering this ordinance and the um, questioning and, and meeting with uh, several over a hundred individual citizens from from the community, uh, the majority of those people I talked to their position or opinion as well on the ordinance was to uh, they, they hoped and wished that it would remain uh, the same. Um, to summarize a lot of their comments, I think is well. Stated in in saying that, for th- their their attraction and their reason for living in Hyde Park was based on its um, you know, the community and the family feel, and their attraction wasn't isn't based on the you know shopping centers and the um, you know the, the, again the main attraction just being their family oriented environment. Okay. Um, you know, and there, should mention also that in in looking into the ordinance and considering the issue, um, I discussed with um, with the health department there, the Bear River Health Department here their position on uh, what's called alcohol density, more or less, you know, just how the, uh, more available um, alcohol is, the the associated increase in what is called social debris or, or the negative effects um, from um, abuse that occurs when consuming alcohol. It's not based on you know just normal consumption, but that's a category or that's a, the social debris is a categorization of the abuse of, of the drug.
0: Okay, thank you. So just kind of to summarize what you said, it was kind of people in Hyde Park moved to Hyde Park because of how it was, and so changing it is going to affect the community in ways that weren't expected originally. That you said that, especially with what the health department you talked to, also changing this is putting out the more opportunity for uh, the danger with, as you said, as it being a drug, correct?
2: Yes, yeah, and that that is in relation to the... Um, uh, comments or opinions of those in favor of changing ordinance and that the city could really benefit from the revenue generated um, from the increased sales tax um, if alcohol sales were allowed um, and and the health department as well as the national uh, CDC and other uh, agencies note and, and have statistics on showing that the the costs of increased alcohol density far offset the benefits communities receive as far as revenue so yes so you've summarized summarized it well
0: okay um and then i had one more question for you i know that you were pretty busy tonight and we're grateful for uh, the time you have given us sure. um
2: i appreciate you um inviting me to be
0: on. hey it's no problem we're really excited um and then also i wanted to also ask you about you told me earlier you mentioned that there was kind of a movement or initiative being signed by citizens um towards uh now i don't know if this would be to overcome the ordinance or do you know what i'm talking about with this
2: uh yes yeah um and i can attempt to summarize the the uh, actions that have been taken but um there was a citizens initiative where they uh a a group of of high park citizens have um, gone through the process of uh formulating an official petition and then going around to the community and receiving signatures to that petition and the last I've heard they have submitted um, over 500 names uh, signatures on those petitions and it's in the hands of the county at this point and they are going through the process of certifying those all those signatures that they qualify as uh, valid Hyde Park citizen signatures, and part of that criteria is that uh, they, I believe, that the signatures have to come from Hyde Park citizens that voted in the 2008 um, election. So once that uh, the county has has verified that, then the next action would be that the um, the referendum, I believe it's called, would be put on the ballot and then whenever the next election is held, be it, that there's a special election could take place, or it could be um, just next November when the citizens then would vote on whether or not to accept the ordinance, as far as I understand it.
0: So when was it that the ordinance actually was approved? I can't remember what the date was. Do you remember when that was?
2: Uh, yes. October 10th was the night that the city council that we met and held the public hearing um, on whether, you know, to receive input from the citizenry on on the ordinance and whether or not the city council should um, pass the ordinance or what, you know, just to receive input. And then uh, that night the council also voted to adopt the ordinance by a vote of 3 to 2.
0: With recent changes and oh, changes over the last decade, as you said, um, how is it you feel towards utah's recent changes as in they've added more liquor licenses they've changed certain rules on and they're considering changing rules on how liquor licenses can be uh applied to like for instance chain uh stores so like uh, Chili's would be able to apply for one corporate uh license rather than applying individual uh for their individual restaurants so how is it you feel About Utah's overall changes that they've been having, from what you understand uh, about them, and also from where you sit in Hyde Park.
2: Sure. Okay. Um, Well, as as mentioned, with the the recent trend, at least at the state level, to um, I believe statewide as well in the local governments, but to uh, going to I guess what you would call. Relaxing the regulations on licensing, um, you know, as as far as it relates to the government doing, you know, as as it ought to or in its proper realm, um, I believe it ought to be at least a reflection of what the majority will of the people is, um, and and you know, perhaps we are just trending in that direction. But ultimately, I hope the the state at the the state government level they would. Uh, recognize the value and, and its appropriateness to um, again allow the local governments, local entities to um, ultimately make the determination on um, the le- number of licensing or the level of li- alcohol licensing that uh, is available and allowed in in those areas. Um, I, I certainly hope that as the state considers uh, making a change to allow or put licensing, or, or whatever it's being called. But again, they would allow for the local government, the government closest to the people, um, at least in the respective areas, to ultimately make that decision. I hope that there would be a place in uh, the state law to allow for that. Um, I feel that would be appropriate. And you know, the again, it, as, as I mentioned, the, at the state level, it ought to be a representation of the majority of the people. That's the beauty of our uh, democratic republic system of government. So, um, I, I certainly can see the benefit that uh, is perceived um, to be out there that uh, the increased revenues means increased government services, and uh, I can see that being an attractive option, but um, I certainly would hope that... Um, Our government would trend in the the direction of making laws and and ordinances at the local level that protect and and preserve the important things in our communities, protecting the important things like our families and and, uh, what the values of the citizens are rather than simply focusing on what brings in more revenue.
0: Okay, thank you. I do not believe that this... Now, I don't. I haven't completely read the proposal or anything like that, but from what I understand, I believe it would not um, influence any individual uh, local government, as in like a city would be required to allow them in. But I, that's what I understand. I, I could be completely wrong, though. I need to look into that.
2: <laughs> um, and, and I intend to as well.
0: I, I'm grateful for your comments. Is there anything that you have on your mind about it that you'd like to discuss? Uh,
2: you know, I think we've we've covered... Covered it well in your questions. Again, I appreciate the opportunity and the invitation to uh, be on your show.
0: Hey, no problem. Thanks again. Have a yep. good evening.
2: You too.
1: That's our uh, associate Professor uh, Addison Pace. He talked uh, yesterday with Mark Hurd, Hyde Park City Councilman. There's a controversy in Hyde Park. Uh, citizens there uh, are getting together an initiative uh, to uh, vote. ...on that ordinance, which recently allowed uh, alcohol sales in uh, in Hyde Park. We're going to continue this discussion. We'll be talking about uh, weird alcohol laws in other states, trying to situate ourselves in the... the, I think we are sort of in the middle on this. And uh, we'll talk later in the hour with State Senator uh, John Valentine. Uh, He wants to, uh, for the legislature to pass a law to free up uh, liquor licenses for states' hotels and restaurants... We'll talk about perceptions of alcohol control. Does that affect uh, the economy in your town? Uh, Should we have uh, these blue laws legislating morality? And who should decide? That's the whole controversy in Hyde Park. When we come back from a brief break, I'll have a correction from uh, a Hyde Park listener. And we'll be talking with Nibley Mayor uh, Gerald Knight. Following break.
3: Next time on the Putumayo World Music Hour,
1: we'll highlight
4: guitarists around the world from Latin America, Africa, Australia, and Japan. I'm Dan Storper.
3: And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for World Guitars, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday night at 10 on Utah Public
0: Radio. Support for Access Utah comes from the Utah Humanities Council, enriching cultural, intellectual, and civic life by providing opportunities for all Utahns to explore life's most engaging questions and the wonders of the human experience.
1: You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about alcohol in Utah, liquor laws. There is a tension in Utah, as there is in a lot of states. A, a sizable uh, portion of the community are teetotalers. Uh, there's a long history in Utah of blue laws, uh, helping uh, good Christians to remain so. That's the history of blue laws. Um, and it's not only Utah. It's uh, across the Bible Belt and in many other states. And uh, Utah not alone in having weird liquor laws. For example, just to help us feel a little better about ourselves, in Hawaii... Uh, this is very confusing to some tourists. Um, you uh, perhaps are picking up a drink at the bar for uh, your companion. And the law says that you must, uh, the, the bartender must ask, who is the other drink for? You must point to them, and that person must not currently have a drink. So that's uh, one, of the, one of the laws. In Colorado, for example, um, you may not ride a horse while intoxicated. Yeah, uh, that's from oddballdaily.com, and uh, they go on to say you might think that's well, that's that's <laughs> uh, understandable. But in Pennsylvania, uh, there was a recent ruling that says you can ride a horse while intoxicated. Just to make us a little feel a little better about the, our Zion Curtain and some other complex uh, Utah laws. Uh, to follow up on the conversation, Addison had with Mark Mike Mark Hurd, Hyde Park City Councilman, they passed an ordinance there recently allowing uh, alcohol sales. And I characterize the uh, citizens' petition as uh, wanting to roll that back. Here is what Brian in Hyde Park says. The citizens' initiative in Hyde Park is not to roll back the Hyde Park Council's decision, as you stated in the opening of the program. Yes, there are those who would like to see no alcohol sold in Hyde Park. But for most of us who signed it, the initiative is to put this to a citizen vote. The concern was that a major decision like this should not be decided by just a few people on the council, but by all the citizens of our city. No matter the outcome, it will be a vote by the citizens. So our thanks to Brian of Hyde Park for that uh, clarification. If you live in Hyde Park, we'd love to hear your position on this. Uh, Anywhere in Utah, love to hear uh, how alcohol laws affect you, for good or ill, and what should Utah's... Uh, liquor laws look like Should there be further reform Following the reforms that Governor Huntsman uh, Put forward a couple of years back Or do you like the laws The way they are Or do you know any weird laws in other states Or in Utah that sort of Tickly fancy or perhaps have got you up in arms The number is 1-800-826-1495 one 826 1495 We bring in uh, Nibley Mayor Gerald Knight First of all welcome to the program Thank you. Appreciate it, Tom. I uh, appreciate you coming back to to Access Utah. Uh, first of all, a uh, reaction to the, to the Hyde Park controversy. I know Nibley went through something similar uh, several years back. Uh,
4: well, as far as what Hyde Park does, I think that's up to the residents and the uh, council there. And so I hate to weigh in and say, you know, they should be doing this or should be doing that. Uh, our situation was... Uh, a little bit unique, and uh, we dealt with that the best way we felt that the residents of Nibley would like us to deal with it. So, mm. so the
1: uh, as I remember it, and you helped me remember f- before we went on air, I just had a vague memory that there was a controversy in Nibley. This was 2002, I believe, so uh, about uh, 10 years back.
4: Yes, in fact, uh, well, the Maverick actually came in around 2006. Uh, so prior to the Maverick coming in, uh, and I wasn't involved with uh, city government at the time, but our council and uh, mayor and manager decided that we needed to have liquor control and a liquor control ordinance. And so they adopted uh, the state's uh, Utah Alcohol Beverage Control Act as part of our ordinance uh, in 2002. Mm -hmm. And I am assuming, but I do not believe that was anticipating any Uh, pressing uh, request, but just in anticipation of future requests that could happen with, uh, you know, as we get commercial and restaurants and so forth that may come into the city. So they were just being a little forward thinking.
1: And uh, I believe as you uh, stated to me, uh, then the Maverick did come in. Yes. And the Maverick, I believe, came to you as mayor of the city council saying, uh, what about uh, sales
4: of beer on Sunday?" Well, what had happened is they came in and applied for their license and got it, and uh, then some time later they came back and said, "Hey, by the way, uh, we believe that most of the rest of the county does not allow sales of alcohol on Sunday. Your d- ordinance does not preclude those sales. Uh, what? Uh, and and so we intend on doing that. And we went, oh, because uh, like I said before, we had adopted the Utah Alcohol Beverage Control Act." Uh, and the language thereof, and it doesn't preclude sales on Sunday. It was a unique uh, law uh, that pertained to Cache Valley, or or at least the municipalities in Cache Valley that adopted their own liquor control. And uh, so we said, well, okay, uh, not much we can do about that as far as you're concerned, because you've got your license. uh, But I decided to take it to the council and see what their feelings were to see if they wanted to change our liquor control uh, ordinance for future applications uh, or licenses. And uh, we had a – I call it a minor debate. It wasn't uh, too controversial. We had a couple of residents come. uh, But all in all – uh, the, the feeling of the council was, leave it the way it is, and that's what we did. Mm. And it, was it controversial? Uh, when you say controversial, there may have been one or two people that expressed concerns with mm-hmm. uh, you know, consumption of alcohol. And I think it comes down to, to answer your question directly, no, I don't believe it was controversial. I think uh, the council that we had at the time... Uh, are very uh, educated and well versed and uh, responsive and their their intent is to in in passing of ordinances is to provide for the general welfare of the people and in doing that you protect uh, individual rights as as, uh, as by maintaining a safe environment as well as a free and open environment and i think that's more or less the approach they took the mm-hmm. philosophy they had
1: no, banning beer sales on Sunday w- would seem to fit into the, these blue laws, right there, there gives a, you know I guess that's the Sabbath for for right. many people. Uh, but otherwise, it you know I don't know if, uh, if if people consume more alcohol on on Sunday. I don't know. It 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 would seem to me that that it, it fit into the blue law category. Uh, and in making that decision as a city council and as a mayor, do you you're, you're thinking about public safety, aren't you? But Trying to try right. balance everything.
4: Right. And I and you know those blue laws it's the I hadn't heard of those before I moved to Cache Valley. I uh, grew up in Cedar City. I'm not uh, aware of those types of laws there, but it was kind of a uh, a little bit of a surprise uh, to me and and uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the good and bad associated with it. Uh, I thought it was a little odd. Uh, But I'm not going to, uh, if you will, judge those that uh, passed those laws and felt that they were appropriate at the time uh, because it's hard to say. But it was a little strange for me when I came and happened to go into a store on Sunday one day. And the bear section, I think it was of Smith's at the time, was boarded up. And, uh, you know, they had a board in front that said no alcohol sells on Sunday. And that was my first exposure to it.
1: Yeah. Now, since then, this, this uh, you know, sales on Sunday has been in effect for several years now in Nibley. Have, yes. you, have you seen any increase in, uh, in public safety problems or other, other problems?
4: Uh, no, and I have to say that uh, with a little bit of a caveat. There, uh, in conversations with our uh, former judge and law enforcement, uh, there have been incidences where someone is violating the law. Uh, for example, I think there was an underaged, uh, drinking, uh, or no, an underaged, uh, cell of alcohol that, uh, a citation was issued. I don't believe that occurred on Sunday. Uh, so naturally when you start selling alcohol, there may be additional law enforcement issues you have to deal with because, uh, you know, it's like before you had a road and a speed limit, you didn't have speeders. Well, now we've got those that have violated the law. Uh, as far as an increase in public safety concerns, uh, my understanding from, like you say, speaking with a judge and law enforcement, there has not been. Mm-hmm. There are isolated incis- incidences where a citation is issued, uh, but they're, uh, they are, in my mind, they are not an overwhelming problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said at the time you only had a few people object and that, there has been a whole, a whole lot of uh, problems. Do you, I, I, I guess, citizens of Nibley, from your perspective, are pretty satisfied with the laws that you currently have in place? I believe so. Yes, with regard to to liquor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I just want to run this past you. I know, run this past uh, Senator Valentine as well. It 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 just kind of strikes me a little bit odd, and and maybe I'll throw this out for listeners. Um, I totally understand the state has an, an interest in uh, in regulating uh, alcohol. But in a state where perhaps a majority are teetotalers, and on a, in a town like Nibley where a majority are teetotalers, uh, there's just something <laughs> to throw out there that the teetotalers, in effect, are dictating to to those who consume alcohol
4: how and when and and, and what they should do. Well, and I, uh, the nice thing about our Nibley City Council is we have lively debates. We've got a very diverse group, um, and they bring in the diverse opinions. And, uh, again, I think our emphasis is on the uh, providing for the general welfare of the uh, community. And in doing that, uh, you know, laws allow for the sale and consumption of alcohol, uh, much like they allow for other consumptions that can be detrimental if taken to an extreme. Now, maybe not to the level that alcohol uh can be. But uh, nonetheless, uh, with those guidelines in place, and as long as people uh, fall within those guidelines, uh, the general welfare of all the people are protected. Uh, If they step outside of those bounds, then that's where law enforcement can uh, come in and help the situation. And as with most laws, uh, the type, the best enforcement is self-enforcement, and that comes from education. And I think there's been a great educational program in the state of Utah and otherwise to uh, indicate where there are problems and when you've stepped beyond those problems. And that was part of our discussion back in, uh, and I don't remember the exact year. It could have been 2006, 2007, but uh, uh, you know there was a concern from a council uh, councilman that is not a teetotaler that said, "Listen, I believe in responsible drinking." Uh, and if anybody ever has gone beyond that, here is my cell phone number. Call me; I will get you home. Yeah, so that's the that's the emphasis that we've had as a council is safe, uh, uh, safety in the community.
1: Hmm. Now, in, in Utah, most states, uh, the, the main regulation, the laws, of course, come from the state. And then there's some flexibilities within which the the cities can can decide. I wonder, uh, you as a as mayor of a city. Do you think that's the proper way to go about it? Do you th- would you want more more flexibility on a city level?
4: Uh, in this instance, no. No, I think that's good. I, uh, one of the things we get from the state is a fair amount of expertise that is very difficult for us to go out and research and do on our own, especially for the limited uh, amount of uh, interest that we have in this uh, area. So we rely heavily on experts when it comes to making these types of decisions. Hmm.
1: Our guest in this segment has been Gerald Knight, mayor of Nibley. We're talking about alcohol control, liquor laws in Utah. They're perceived nationwide as a little bit weird, but we're not alone. Many other states, of course, having their interest in controlling alcohol, have gone to the, the mind of some, a little too far. Of course, citizens in those states, uh, I think, are perfectly fine with with a lot of those laws. Uh, we're weighing in on this, especially with the controversy in Hyde Park. They have a citizens' uh, initiative. Uh, they want to vote on uh, an ordinance that was recently passed allowing alcohol sales in that city. Nibley has had beer sales on Sunday for several years now, and uh, apparently uh, things are going well there. We're going to be talking in the next segment with Senator John Valentine. Uh, who is proposing a law which would free up dozens of liquor licenses in the state's hotels. The idea here is to attract national chains of hotels and restaurants. We're going to continue this discussion following a brief break. Uh, As we go to break, here are uh, another couple of uh, strange liquor laws in other states, just to kind of help you uh, feel a little better about Utah's laws. In Arizona, for example, you can pull up to a little window, order a six-pack of beer, pay, and drive off. So, drive through sales in uh, Arizona. And in Washington, D.C., uh, liquor stores have to be closed on Sundays unless it's Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, I happen to fall on uh, Sunday. Just a couple of examples. That's, uh, those are both from uh, oddball.com. We'll uh, talk with uh, Senator John Valentine about liquor in uh, Utah and his proposals coming up following a brief break. Support for Utah
0: Public Radio is provided by Messina Wildlife Management, manufacturer of organic animal repellents under the Animal Stopper name. Retailer location and other information is at stopanimaldamage.com.
4: This is folk singer Michael Jonathan inviting you to tune in to the next Wood Songs broadcast. We have Pert near Sandstone and from England, Sarah McQuaid.
3: Spring follows winter.
4: It's music and conversation on the next broadcast of the Sound Old
2: Time Radio.
1: That's Friday night at 11 on Utah Public Radio.
2: Coming up on the next Bluegrass Breakdown, we'll be headed to the new Bluegrass CD bins in search of one of the most highly prized creations in all of high, blue, and lonesomedom, the CD reissue. I'm Dave Higgs, and we'll have a handful of them. Blast from the past from such revered artists as Walter Forbes, Buzz Busby, Reno and Smiley, and many more
1: on the next Bluegrass Breakdown. Saturday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Did you know that students retain content from an informational text better than they do when the information is embedded in a story? Did you know that when students are rewarded for reading across a wide range of genres of texts, it has a positive impact on their attitude toward reading. When young children are given a choice of books to receive as a gift, they often favor informational books. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. The bidding has started at Utah Public Radio's Holiday Online Auction, where you will find art, electronics, restaurant, and travel packages. These items are located statewide, and you can still add your item to the auction until the auction ends Tuesday, December 11th. Check it out at upr.org.
1: You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, glad you're with me today. Our subject: liquor laws in Utah. Uh, there's a, a balance course between uh, controlling alcohol for public safety reasons and uh, economic development, and uh, attention is uh, felt in in all states. Different ways that states uh, control alcohol. Utah recently went through a, a major revision of its liquor laws uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, there are more changes being proposed. uh, One by uh, State Senator John Valentine. Uh, He'd like to free up dozens of liquor licenses uh, using the state's uh, hotels. Uh, by creating a master license for hotels, which would free up licenses currently required to run the bars, restaurants, catering services inside those uh, hotels. Uh, John Valentine has uh, been uh, a principal player in uh, uh, drafting Utah's liquor laws for uh, some time now, and uh, Senator Valentine joins us. So now. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, just before we talk about your specific uh, proposal... Um I, I wonder if the, I've characterized uh, that correctly that the tension between public safety is that the argument on on tight control of of liquor versus economic development. Is, is that the main argument that you hear at the legislature? Uh,
5: yes, it really is. Um, no one disputes the fact that consumption of alcohol has a social cost that's attended with it. Uh, we have DUIs. We have underage drinking, which then causes uh, additional problems. We have uh, problems that occur in society with overconsumption of alcohol. Uh, alcohol is a drug. It's a legal drug. But it nevertheless does have social costs attended with it. And when we have those social costs, we have to recognize that we've got to be able to cover those social costs with uh, public safety concerns.
1: And I mentioned earlier in the program, i want to run this past you, I don't know if, it, do you get reaction from constituents or maybe other legislators? It, it sort of strikes me every time we talk about this that in a state where perhaps a majority are teetotalers and maybe a majority in the legislature, teetotalers are are dictating to consumers of alcohol <laughs> the laws. Does that strike you as strange? Do you get reaction on that?
5: Um, no, you have to remember that um, you, you have to do things by majority vote. Uh, if the majority were in a state that said uh, we want to be a licensed state instead of a control state, then we would change to a licensed state. Iowa, for example, has kind of flip flopped on that a couple of times. They started off as a control state, then moved to a licensed state, then moved back to a control state when they saw the public safety cost. So it really is a matter of who is the majority, and the majority does have the most votes.
1: Mm. I believe, well, we know that perception is a concern and does, I think, have economic consequences. As we've been going along in the program here, we've been throwing out some odd laws in other states, sort of situating ourselves. I think a lot of people in Utah... Maybe you've had a perception that we're on the extreme end. That's not the case, is it?
5: No, it really isn't. In fact, I actually had that perception when I first started trying to look at alcohol legislation about 15 years ago. Um, I I thought, you know, we've got the ones that are unique laws because I'd come from California, which was a licensed state, not a control state. So I was expecting certain things. Um, You know, and I found that as I was researching laws in other states, oh my gosh, uh, we actually have a fairly benign alcohol regulation system compared to places in the south, places in Texas, uh, places where you have a dry county and a wet county right next to each other, and you basically have the county line down the middle of the street. Uh, You you know, I saw some really funny things as I was trying to look at liquor legislation in other states
1: but it would seem uh, to, on the perception front still some work to do uh, this is a new york times headline following the the reform of liquor laws uh, the headline says utah liquor laws um let's see what does it say relaxed but uh, but still strange and uh, so i guess perception uh is is a key and uh, it has economic consequences
5: i think you're right uh- again, we still have to continue to balance the social cost. And so uh, you can't, for example, serve to someone who's underage. You can't serve to someone who's intoxicated. You can't serve to someone who is uh, going to go out and uh, go and drive. Uh, those those are things that uh, we've, we've got to recognize that this drug does have a social consequence. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, uh, perhaps you could explain uh, your uh, recent proposal. I think you brought this up in, uh, for for the committee just so they would know what it 's and you 're going to introduce this in january
5: uh, let 's be actually precise. okay. The one I introduced in the committee is the one i 'm going to introduce in january it 's the one that says that we create master licenses for restaurants who want to have multiple licenses in the state of Utah. Let's say that you're at Chili's or an Olive Garden and you want to come into Utah and you want to expand into Utah. Or maybe you're somebody new that wants to come into Utah and your model has a liquor license as part of the restaurant chain. The problem that you have now in expanding in Utah is you have no predictability that you can expand now and would have additional licenses available in the future. The idea of the master license for the restaurants is that it would allow the restaurant to buy a master license and then not have to worry about whether or not they have enough licenses available into the quota system for those licenses for the expansion. That master license idea then would allow us to give predictability to someone who wanted to have more than one chain, uh, more than one store in their chain in the state of Utah. That's the one I've introduced. The one dealing with hotels is still a concept. I have not yet introduced a bill on it. Uh, It's one I think I um, introduced to the media last week where I talked about the idea of a master license for a hotel so that a hotel would not have to have multiple different types of licenses. Not a chain of hotels, but multiple different types of licenses. For example, uh, you may have a license for a restaurant. You may have one for a social club. You may have one for a tavern. You may have one for a package agency. You may have one for a banquet catering agency, all in the same hotel. Hmm. Well, administratively, that's a little tough for us to deal with because we have to continually set a different audit team in for each one of those types of licenses. Uh, It appeared to me to just be a lot cleaner if we had one master license for a hotel, and then the hotel could have as sub-licenses its various different functions.
1: Hmm. Well, one possible argument against this, and, and it sounds like you're not getting a whole lot of opposition, uh, would be that, that maybe this weakens the, the would weaken the quota system it's based on population?
5: Uh, I I can't say that I'm not getting opposition, okay? I I can say that the voices who support the ideas have been uh, more up front at this point. But I can tell you in negotiations with some of the players who are concerned about more outlets, Uh, there is some angst. Um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving have some concerns. Uh, I have yet to meet with the legislative affairs people with the PTA who have traditionally been uh, important in this area. I haven't met with the LDS Church. There was an important player in this area. I've had some opposition come from the substance abuse councils. Some of the county's departments of health have had some concerns with additional outlets in the past. So there's still a lot of work to do to make certain that we get enough of the stakeholders supporting the concepts.
1: What are the concerns of a? I would imagine mothers against drunk driving would be public safety.
5: Uh, yeah, what their, their concern is, um, they cite back to uh, several studies done by the Center for Disease Control and by John Hopkins Public Health Department, uh, where they talk about additional outlets have the tendency to uh, cause additional problems, and so those um, additional outlets is what they're more concerned about. In other words, if we have a wetter environment, that wetter environment will cause more social cost, and we have to balance the social costs with additional public safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically the tenor of what their argument seems to be.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the ongoing tension, and I guess you just have to f- find the balance. And
5: th- and that's what it is. Uh, and you do have to find a balance, because if you don't, uh, then you won't get a past. Mm-hmm. And that's as simple as that
1: yeah on the other side the hospitality association i i think that they're uh, you know probably going to be pushing and pushing and pushing for looser and looser and looser control
5: well now you got to remember that there's sort of different camps in this debate uh one camp is the restaurants, another camp are the hotels the f- other the another camp is is a loose group of uh, uh of owners who we call the hospitality industry, the hospitality industry are social clubs. Um, sometimes fine dining clubs are in that industry. Sometimes it's the bars, um, and so that's a fairly looser group. The hospitality association is an actual association made up of some of the bar owners, but it's not the majority of the bar owners. So um, I've got to be. I've, I've been a little bit uh, lax in my. My lexicon to the pack. Mm-hmm. so I'm now being corrected, and I'm now trying to be accurate as to who's who in this in this uh, debate. Mm. Uh, it,
1: the I wonder what you're hearing, though, from the you know the restaurant association or or others or just uh, just um, you know constituents. The the reforms from a few years ago were fairly significant. Um, did, what are some of these groups or people wanting in addition to that?
5: Well, the. the Forms were fairly significant. I have met with the restaurant, uh, restaurant association. Um, I have met with some of the individual restaurateurs. Uh, I think that generally they have uh, a lot of support for the idea, but they do have concerns about how it would be enforced. In other words, if you are a restaurant and you've got uh, 12 restaurants and you have one restaurant that's had a couple of problems, is that going to bring down the whole chain? Uh, that's not what I intend. I intend to to really sort of focus on the problems at the point of uh, where the problems are. Now, if you see a pattern of conduct, in other words, instead of having 12 restaurants with one as a problem, now you've got uh, seven or eight in there, and you're you constantly have a reputation of um, serving to minors. You may take the whole chain down. Mm. And that's what they're concerned about, is, is how you deal with that. Because as it deals right now, um, if one chain, one store loses a license, that store is severable and it's gone. Uh, if you have a master license, then you could have problems with um, uh, a pattern of conduct taking the whole chain down. And that's what I think it should be.
1: Hmm. Uh, by the way, I've, I've been positing an assumption I think a lot of us have with is the perceptions you have economic consequences. I don't know if uh, any organizations come to you with uh, and actually quantified that.
5: Uh, they really haven't quantified it. They have talked about, however, that it's an impediment on their ability to um, go into other parts of the state. Uh, let's say you have a concept that's working well in Salt Lake County and you want to move it down to Utah County or up to Davis County or down to Washington County or up to Cache County because you feel like it could be successful in those other areas, Uh, you may have a a barrier to be able to expand because the licenses may not be available. Now we tried to solve some of that during the special session by adding 50 additional new restaurant licenses and that has taken uh, some of the pressure off uh, momentarily but the master license concept is an attempt to do a long-term fix. Hmm.
1: Uh, I wonder if there are, beyond what you uh, are proposing or are likely to propose, perhaps may propose in the next uh, session, are there other uh, ongoing changes that you would like to see?
5: Uh, in Laws generally or yeah, liquor laws? Uh,
1: liquor laws first, and then, uh, yeah, anything else you'd like to mention?
5: Well, uh um there's always areas that I have uh, concerned about. Um, I have concerned about how we enforce some of our public safety side. Uh, for example, we've had a longstanding um, rule in Utah that a person who is an alcohol-restricted person should not be able to be served alcohol. What do I mean by an alcohol-restricted person? Well, that's a person who is on probation or parole by the courts or by the um, Department of Corrections, um, and they have an alcohol restriction as a condition of probation. It's a fairly common restriction whenever you had an alcohol-related offense that you're going to have an alcohol restriction. Uh, that person cannot legally buy alcohol. And yet when they walk into a grocery store or when they walk into a bar or into a restaurant, um, the restaurateur, the store owner, the bar owner, they have no way of knowing. Um, we're looking at some ways to make it so that um, we can enforce our existing laws uh, by allowing uh, some information to come to uh, the, the vendor that uh, this person is an alcohol-restricted person.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, finally, um, there you may or may not know there's a controversy in Hyde Park, a city in the Cache Valley here in the, in the Logan area. Uh, the, the uh, city council uh, recently, allowed, uh, alcohol sales, uh, there's a citizen's petition to, to try to have citizens weigh in on this, yes or no. And that brings up, uh, a question of where should the locus of control be? Should it be more on the state level, more on the city level?
5: Uh, that is another balance uh, that we have. Uh, we have allowed the cities a certain amount of say as to location of, um, Licensees, whether they be a bar or a restaurant or uh, whether it just be a pizza joint with a beer license. Uh, we do allow cities to cite those kinds of locations. We do provide some guidance in the statute that says that you have some limitations as to being too close to things like schools or churches or parks. Uh, those are in statute. But the rest of it really is up to local communities, and, and we believe that local control for the siting of the premises is an important uh, important concept.
1: Senator John Valentine uh, will be proposing uh, some uh, legislation dealing with liquor laws in uh, Utah. I'm sure we'll be discussing these and other issues uh, as the legislative session begins. Uh, Senator Valentine, thank you so much.
5: Hey, thanks, Tom. Good to be on your show again.
1: And uh, we're going to go to a Gina Wickwar commentary uh, tomorrow. We're going to talk about Twinkies and unions. Of course, Hostess, in a labor dispute, has followed through on their threat to to go out of business. We might be deprived of our Twinkies. Some are blaming unions. We'll talk about unions. Our question, unions, good or bad? That's tomorrow on the program. Thanks for listening today. For uh, producer uh, Shalane Smith-Needham, I'm Tom Williams.
3: Utah writer Gina Wickwar. Know what most women are petrified of? No, it's not spiders or snakes. They're sleazy auto mechanics or a smirking highway patrolman or even a letter from the IRS. No, what a woman has the hardest time dealing with and is usually scared to confront directly is her hairstylist. It's true. I have it on the best of authority, which is my own. I spent the last five years of a 10-year relationship with a hairstylist who always used hairspray even though it made me sneeze, never remembered what shade he'd applied the last time he colored my hair, Always forgot to blow away the hairs on my neck after a cut, and never even pretended to listen whenever I attempted to tell him about a a new style I wanted to try. Eventually, all his other clientele deserted him for friendlier salons, but I persevered out of guilt. One day, however, he left his scissors at home and had to borrow a pair from a colleague. That was the last straw. I did leave him. I wish I could say I never looked back." but it's not true. I was haunted, thinking how much I had hurt his feelings. It all could have been avoided, I rationalized, wringing my hands, if I had just had the courage to sit down with him to explain that I hated hairspray, hated his not knowing what hair coloring I wanted, hated his not listening to me when I wanted a different cut. But I had been a coward, like so many other women. Funny thing about this is that most women are braver than a mother bear separated from her cubs. We'll charge into the principal's office and demand our child be moved to a better class. We'll spit in the eye of the meter maid who gives us a ticket. We'll confront the poor person who steps in front of us in the grocery line. We'll hound a clerk until she finds the rain check. And we'll stop at nothing to avenge a perceived slight to our spouse." But dress down a hairstylist? The problem is very basic. Your hairdresser has control over your life. He or she can make or break you. Want to look great for the upcoming awards banquet? If you've gotten on the bad side of Monsieur Pierre or Mimi, she of the red-haired Spike Job, you can wind up going to the dinner affair looking like Phyllis Diller. Getting on the bad side of Kimberly, the purple and orange-haired lovely, could mean you'll have yourself a head full of green hair just in time for the boss's retirement party. Or you could find yourself with hair so short, your grandkids call you grandpa. Oh, it does happen. Hairstylists have a way of getting their revenge, and most women know this. As a result, they tiptoe around their stylus, hinting in a soft whisper that perhaps jewels a little longer on this side this time. Snip, snip 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 the gentle hint obviously didn't work because now half your scalp is showing or could you please not highlight it as much in front this time mcgill darling this pathetic plea results in a three-hour wait with your scalp wrapped in aluminum and you look like andy warhol while most of us appreciate our hairstylists, we definitely need to come to grips with our irrational fears about them and tell them straight up what we want and demand they follow our orders. Unfortunately, the holiday season is now upon us, and I'm sort of betting the women I know, including me, will put off that little conversation with our hairstylists until, say, sometime after Groundhog Day. Care to take me up on that bet? This is Gina Whitmore.
1: This is Utah Public Radio. KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSUFM HD191.5 Logan.